so to me, this is smooth. Like smooth to me is uh, the absence of personality. Um, and, and knowing that alcohol spirits um, are not going to make any of us live longer, um, I would venture to say that at least my opinion is that um, if one is drinking alcohol, one should be looking for things that have a personality, that express themselves in, in, in a specific manner. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I am Chris LeBeau, and today I am uh, delighted to bring you a conversation with Nicholas Palazzi. He is the founder of the alcohol import company PM Spirits, PM standing for Paul Marie, uh, named in honor of his late father. And PM likes to refer to itself as a provider of geeky spirits. Uh, Nicholas grew up in Bordeaux, France, learning quite a bit about cognac and wine just in the course of his journey. And as he settled into a career as an engineer that was not... Uh, really taking at some point in time, he spotted what he felt was a gap in the cognac market and uh, began importing uh, unique brandies in that regard. So while I have plenty of things to say, and this is a very worthwhile educational conversation today, uh, rather than my words, let's use a few words from the author and uh, noted bartender Jim Meehan. I used to think I was discerning about spirits. Then I met Nicholas. He's forgotten more about cognac than I'll ever know, but his knowledge and passion for spirits in other categories is just as rapacious. Besides being our most respected importer, Nick is a friend and colleague, and I can count on him for straight talk. And so a quick ground game for those who are not in the industry. Uh, Because alcohol is a controlled substance— uh, getting it around or let alone having it cross international borders is not always the easiest thing. So PM was founded as an importer. Uh, Nicholas went out and started finding these cognacs that were uh, not readily available in the market and began the complicated process of importing them and then promoting them. But on the other end of things, beyond importing, there is the world of distributing. So while he is kind of the lead in his team or the lead spokesperson for these products, uh, in the states where they are available, uh, those products are then find their way into the hands of a trusted distributor. So the booze you see in bars and restaurants and grocery stores gets there courtesy of a distributor. So they find people that they feel like can in turn help represent their products properly. Now in the state of New York, they do uh, – offer both these services, so they are also a distributor there as well. But PM's primary founding mission was to go out and find products 
that were unique and bring them into the U.S. market. I have followed PM's work for a while, uh, have written at times about a, uh, a cocktail called the Rough and Yak that I had in New Orleans, uh, Tales of the Cocktail, which was made with one of their uh, unaged uh, Blanche Armagnacs uh, called Cobra Fire. It is just a, it was a phenomenal cocktail. I was like, what is this? I need to know more about this company. And so I followed their work for a while, but I reached out because Nicholas had a, uh, and their, all of their social media is just, it's either beautiful or very in your face. And I love, I love it for, for both those reasons. Um, but Nicholas held up a bottle of Calvados, French apple brandy, and said, do you know how hard it is to find Calvados that is without additives? Now, additives, for those of us who are really kind of anointed into the conversation, I feel like are more prevalent today because we're used to hearing about them uh, courtesy of tequila and the work done by Tequila Matchmaker. And while I wasn't so naive to think that additives weren't in other products, it was interesting for me to think, what all are they in? And so when I reached out, uh, Nicholas agreed, yeah, let's get together and talk. And so this is a very eye-opening educational conversation for me, uh, affirming in other ways, Um, but it is one that is not worth missing. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. There are a ton of links to all sorts of different articles and other things they have done. Uh, I think it should also, of course, be noted that you don't build a reputation like this without a lot of hard work, a lot of airline miles. And so in some of the pieces that I've read kind of highlight the work he goes to to find these products and how hopefully rewarding, but also, I'm sure, exhausting at times it is. You can find more about PM Spirits online at pmspirits.com or at pmspirits on the Instagrams. Uh, Nicholas's uh, Instagram handle is Captain, but that's C-A-P-T-N Cognac. So C-A-P-T-N-C-O-G-N-A-C. This is a fun conversation that I'm very excited to bring you. Enjoy. So, Nicholas, I was uh, I was excited to have this conversation. I feel like the first time, not being a, you know, in the retail side of things and not um, being in New York, I feel like the first time I ever really gained awareness of PM peripherally was through uh, your guys, uh, Blanche Armagnac, uh, Cobra Fire. And uh, as I kind of dug into the company a little bit, I liked what I what I see on your website. It says, uh, we give a fuck about artisanal spirits, so you drink only the best. We believe in the essence and authenticity of real spirits. We see a world where mass-produced booze has overshadowed the genuine craft uh, and stories of small producers. Uh, so for me, I think it's really interesting in terms of um, – what PM really works has has worked hard to stand for for all this time. So I know you've certainly talked about, um, you know, kind of getting started in in cognac a little bit. But tell us a little bit about just for the ground game about kind of the genesis of the PM story that I'm sure you're used to sharing, and uh, we'll run with things from there. All right, Chris. Uh, well, th- thanks very much for having me. First and foremost, uh, it's it's cool you 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 reached out. So thank you um and yeah i i i started the thing about um 12 years ago now so sometimes early 2011 and i guess the goal um was to 
offer things on the spirit side of things that were um you know like well made um by good people um so that's the uh that's that this has been the uh this has been the premises and and we stayed the course for uh, you know like the past uh the, the, the again the past 12 plus years um the uh the spirit that what we're trying to achieve is um be like straightforward no bullshit transparent uh and and in, in a word that is you know pretty branded in a word that you know the booze word is very uh marketing driven um you got a lot of stories you got a lot of stuff that that are that's that's being said that might not necessarily uh be an accurate representation of the truth uh i'm not saying like people are being misled but i'm just saying like there's 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 a there's just a lot of stories uh and and, and we're trying to we're trying to represent the you know the small guys who um you know work honestly um put out good products they're not trying to please any um anyone specifically they have a vision they carry out the vision and 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 we want to um try to match these products with people who care about them yeah and i know that one of your guys other premises and kind of boilerplate statements always is like you know if we won't drink it you know we don't carry it in that regard so you know and i feel like when people have something that is a truly stunning product they know it but sometimes i think you know and so much like with anything there's a lot of practice involved with tasting things getting to know things but i feel like people at times especially like knowing that for some of my audience it's mixologists who are really beginning to ramp up their game or the lay people at home i feel like their level of discernment uh, in between what really good quality is and not they just have that difficulty so how do you I'm, i know it's a lot of practice but how do you begin to figure out where the bullshit is versus the things that are genuine um hmm. all right good 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 question um obviously so i would say that the first thing is to be curious and and when one is curious one will um taste drink a lot of things with an open mind and and as one is doing that uh one should pay attention to um the sensations like what what one smells, when one tastes, and that helps build some sort of a library um, in 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 one's brain. So this this is what I've been doing uh, for um, a little while now, and and so little by little, as as one pays attention to what one smells and tastes, like, you, like one's able to say, all right, this is first thing is this I like, this I don't. And, and then the second thing is to try to understand why one likes or dislikes something. So that's the first, that, that's the first, um, that's the, 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 the basis, I guess. Um, then there's um, talking to the people. And, and as, as, as you know, because you, you, you talk to a lot of folks out there, um, it's the more you talk to people, you more the more you genuinely pay attention to what they have to say. The easier it gets, the the quicker you manage to 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 feel whether 
um, this what what's being told is genuine or not. Um, and and the quicker one's brain is able to pick up on um, whether that story is consistent, whether the the person is doing um, the things for the right reasons or for other reasons. Um, and and I guess the third way of going at it would be to use critical thinking. Uh, and I'll, I'll give the I'll give the the basic example of um, you know if, if if you're being told by somebody who has an interest in having you purchase a um, a brandy a cognac let's say, and and the person is talking about like really old cognacs and really old casks and that sort of stuff. And, and you get the impression from the story that the product is really, really old. All right, that's cool. I mean, there's really old products out there. Um, now, when it comes to purchasing the thing, you realize that it costs 70 bucks or it costs $100. Um, that's when critical thinking comes in. Like, if that stuff is so rare, if that stuff is so old, uh, the likelihood for it to be a hundred bucks is pretty low. Um, so, so um, putting these three the, the things together, I think helps um, as a fairly strong uh, bullshit detector. Um, and on top of that, I guess you know experience helps with. Um, getting a vibe for, for the person. Like it, it, it's a lot of it, most of it is about the people behind the product. Obviously the products need to be great, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a people's business. And, and um, if the vibe from the person is, 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 is good, um, oftentimes, um, the product might also be good. Like this is this there, there's there's a correlation there. I find. Yeah, you know, I I think what you're saying in part though is like a lot of times if something seems too good to be true, it probably isn't true in that regard. In terms of if it's really old cognac, it's probably not going to be eighty five dollars a bottle. It should be priced appropriately in that regard. And I think while there's probably a handful of them who are genuinely interested, I think in the era, to your point of marketing, and there being plenty of it, uh, in the era of the celebrity spirit, you know, most of these cases are famous people putting their names on a product. And it doesn't mean it's bad, but like there is, this is about making money for the most part, as opposed to their in-depth love. A lot of times, if you probably dig into their story, you're going to discover, sure, they've had cocktails and spirits in their life, but like this isn't that they found a maker they couldn't live without. It was they needed an extension of their their brand right there. So that, that, that maker that, 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 that no one had discovered before, but somebody just found, after tasting, you know, like like a hundred different tequilas, um, that maker doesn't exist. Um, like everybody has been looking for stuff, has been drinking stuff um, for um, you know like decades, and and the availability of stuff out there is absolutely tremendous. 
there are people making great stuff. Uh, there are people making bad stuff. But like the um, silver bullet of distiller, uh, it it is not a thing. There's just a group of people who are making really good stuff, and 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 one could sort of product made by one such people. Um, the greatest product on earth, like doesn't it, it? It doesn't it doesn't exist. Like all of a sudden, this is this is that that smells like giant bullshit. Um, and, and so the. Uh, the like we, we we're extremely pleased because we finally found the best tequila now this is like you need to make money and 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 you put your name on the label and that's cool i mean i got nothing about uh, against uh, um one making money with, with spirits like i'm 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 running a full profit business but i think that there needs to be um a cons you know consistency like the the i don't want to tell lies i don't want to make up stories i i i want to be uh, uh, genuinely expressing, um, telling the story of somebody who really exists, why these people is making the pro what these people are making those products the way they are, uh, why it tastes like it does, why it costs uh, what it costs. And, and, and therefore there's no, um, I don't know, it's just uh, the transparency, I guess. Um, is is something that that I am pretty attached to. Mm -hmm. So it was a comment you made about Calvados that actually made me reach out. But I figure maybe since Agave is having a little bit more of a moment, we'll talk about that to get to Calvados. So mm -hmm. I know as you guys, in part, branched into the Agave world, one of the things that you. Uh, talked about was trying to figure out what are the things that make the potential discernible difference in the outcome of quality in a in an agave. And so for you guys, one of the things that's interesting is obviously there is the where it is grown, the plant varietal, et cetera. When it's tequila, we know the plant varietal that we're getting. Mm -hmm. um, but for you, it was what it is cooked in is this idea that this is making an outsized difference. And so one of the things you guys did with your tequila is you are only pulling it in batches from, and I want to talk about the term small batch in a minute, because uh, sure. I know it's a term you guys bring up, but when you guys are making a run, uh, you are sourcing it from a singular oven because that's something you guys feel like holds up on part of the the quality of things, right? Talk to us a little bit about single oven tequila. Well, so I... <clears throat> I don't want to say that um, a single oven equals quality because sure. you could, the, the quality obviously has to do with um, first and foremost, the quality of the raw ingredients. So sure. are, are these agaves um, um, ripe? Um, how the, how the leaves are being cut and, and, and how much of it is being left on, on the pina? Um, and, and, and then, um, how fast or not so fast the stuff is, is cooked, um, all of this. And, and then obviously like the, the crushing and distillation, like all these parts, um, uh, play an important role in how, um, this stuff is going to end up tasting like, um, but I, I do believe that, um, th there's a natural process from making things, for making things, and, and that um, it, for, um, 
if one wants to reduce costs, obviously one will want to try to speed things up. And that's when I have an issue. Um, so I think that a um, traditional way of um, uh, cooking an agave is using an oven as opposed to say a diffuser, uh, which is like the, the, the more um, um, technologically advanced, quick way of extracting sugar from a plant. Um, the, the, the traditional way is what people were doing before there were any questions as to how can we make it faster and, and, and reduce our costs and maximize our profits. So again, like this is, I'm not trying to say uh, we don't want to make a profit. Uh, we do, but we want to do, uh, we want for each step to be um, done the right way. And, and if it takes 72 hours, if it takes 100 hours, then it should. Um, as, as to why we decided to go by the oven. Um, so going by, using ovens is, is the traditional way to, to, to cooking um, agave for, for tequila making. So that, that seemed like the, the right and obvious choice. Um, as to why we're using this as a, uh, you need to production. Um, well, that's that's simply because I am not uh, a tequila expert, and and I I know what I want to smell and taste like in a tequila, so I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted the PM tequila to to, to be like. Uh, but when I started to discuss with the distillery, um, and and quantities came into play, um, people tend to ask you like, how many bottles do you want to make? You make a thousand balls, ten thousand balls, fifty thousand balls, a hundred thousand balls, and I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I've never done it before, so I, I don't have any frame of reference. Um, therefore, uh, because by training I am an engineer, I tend to um, look at something in terms of process, understanding the steps, and I tend to feel like these steps are going to dictate some of the reasoning. Um, and, and therefore one of like, like a, an obvious, you need to measure is how many agaves you fit in, in an oven, uh, how many balls does it yield? And does it seem like a quantity that we can move, um, uh, during a reasonable amount of time or not? Um, so the oven seemed for us, like, kind of seemed to make sense. So first I appreciate you kind of pointing out, yeah, we need to make sure that we're growing healthy agaves first and they're being cared for properly along the way. So for you, one, because uh, I guess when I heard you talk about the oven, so one, obviously it's, yeah, this, you're not Diageo, so you need to kind of uh, order things in a sustainable manner that you can Correct. afford to put them out in. Um, but yeah, well, I feel like when I heard you talking about ovens, but I wasn't sure if, you, if I heard you saying it all was... I. I've heard like musicians before talk about, oh, when we wanted to record this album, we wanted this type of sound. So we went to this particular studio because that is kind of mirrors more the sound. So yes. one for you, it was a natural way to restrict the uh, the sizing for you to kind of limit what, what does a run look like for you. Um, I didn't know how much the oven itself played into the characteristics you were hoping to 
pull off of those agonies. very very much it, it 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 plays very much into the into the, the the qualities of the final product because if you if you have a, a garbage if you start with garbage you end up distilling something that's not going to be good uh and and obviously a lot of precursor of aromas and taste uh get created uh during the cooking process so depending on how something is cooked and and how long the thing is cooked for and and also like whether the cooking process is um gradual or um faster this will impact um the the the, the flavor profile of the thing so cooking is cooking is definitely a um uh has a strong impact on the flavor profile then obviously fermentation and finally uh distillation so each of those steps are um, pretty key and um and again like these we're talking as a chemist i'm thinking you know chemical reactions and you in, in a specific chemical reaction like the transformation of something into something else um under um you know, regular conditions will take a set amount of time. You can speed that up using, um, you know, catalysts. You could speed that up using temperature. You can speed that up using pressure. Um, but it's not, it, it doesn't um, yield exactly, in terms of aroma and flavor, the same, um, the, 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 the same outcomes, I guess. So I, I, if, if the, the natural reaction, the natural process without it being um, helped out by um, technology uh, is two days, three days um, a week, then that's, that's, I think that's what it should be. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly what I got from what I heard you. And we'll link out to your, I heard you talk more about that with the Agave Social Club. So we'll link to that episode. Um, Another thing I was curious about, and I know that temperature and all sorts of things can impact this, but I remember hearing you being asked about making a a, a reposado or a, some kind of aged tequila, perhaps. Right. And you kind of right. said, hey, I don't really have the time or the bandwidth for this. And I've certainly heard, uh, you know, when you're aging something in the Caribbean versus in France, perhaps, you know, different climates is going to mm -hmm. equal different extractions or the whiskey distillers are thinking about that where something is seated in a rickhouse for them. But you were certainly talking about that how quickly, how rapidly you need to be tasting something that you are aging in that regard. And one, I guess, depends on what you want that final flavor to be. But particularly with a tequila, you were like, someone needs to be tasting this almost every week or so, something like that. So, I mean, you know, again, hand of the maker, someone can make that decision. But for you, is this something that based on how you think a tequila should taste that it, it should be, I think, you know, there's often a thing about things that have been aged longer are just seen as more regal. When you're thinking about aging a tequila, is it something you would imagine maybe being more lightly aged so that the agave doesn't get covered up? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think that the, in any, um, distilled spirit that is being aged, I do believe that it's important to not bury um, the characteristic of the um, raw ingredient that the stuff is made from under a ton of wood. 
Um, the same way when I'm, I'm having a salad, I don't want it to be drowned in balsamic vinegar because I can, if I wanted to drink balsamic vinegar on its own, I could do it. Uh, I would like to taste the ingredients of that salad. Um, so the, so that, that, that's one aspect. Another thing that I would say is, um, each cask tends to be its own little word. Therefore, a cask may taste a specific way after a few weeks, a few months, and the cask right next to it that has been filled with the same distillate at the same time might have evolved in a different manner, quicker, um, slower, or just different. Um, also, the, um, the speed at which aging occurs Again, chemical reaction uh, that is uh, being sped up by uh, temperature. Like temperature is a catalyst of, of, of chemical reactions, right? So therefore, um, the hotter uh, it will be, um, the quicker some of these reactions may occur. Um, which leads me to think that because I would want to make something that is exactly um, uh, that, that fits exactly the flavor profile and aroma profile that I would want to drink. Um, I would want to be very hands-on and something that is being aged in a climate where aging would occur pretty quickly. I would want to be able to taste it pretty frequently. Um, a lot of Anero and extra Anero and even Reposado for the matter, tequilas on the market, um, they're being sold under the idea that the older the better, the darker the better, that sort of stuff. Uh, and that and that stuff just takes like coconut and vanilla and there's no agave left. And and a lot of them they're just they just spend way too much time in 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 wood than they should have. Um, and and I I don't think that um, anyone was really um, carefully tasting every single cask on a, um, on, 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 on a regular manner. Um, therefore, I, I would not want to add um, another such product. Um, I'm not against um, putting out a reposado on an arrow. I just would need to find a way to do it the way I want it to be done, which means um, with a lot of control as to how the stuff smells and tastes like. And the minute it feels like it's at its peak and it's going to, it might get over oaked quickly, then um, I, I would want to, you know, be able to taste, smell and taste when that occurs, not two weeks after, not three months after it did. And, and like right then, and then be able to say like, let's take it out of the cask and bottle it. Um, I don't live in Mexico. Uh, I'm not in. I'm, I'm not at the distillery uh, every week, so obviously that makes it a little tougher. And and um, since I, I really, really want to associate PM with stuff that I think are very good, um, right now I don't think that uh, we're set up for it. It doesn't mean like it won't it won't happen. Um, because these are products that I really like, but like at this second, um, 
I, I, I don't have the setup that allows to do that exactly the way I would want it to be done. And I think to that regard, since I've heard it called up before, I mean, you know, the tequila you have, unlike most of the stuff you have, you have found the makers that you love versus the tequila was a project that you initiated. So like, you know, in the other places you're buying the products you trust from those makers versus this is a driven project. So to that end, I know that as you got started with Cognac, one of the things you talked about was that, you know, VS, VSOP in particular, XO, you know, are these products that were on the market. So to your point of wanting the original product to be still, you can taste the raw ingredient alongside the aging with, as you, if you move into with some of your Cognacs into older aged products, I suppose if they're aged carefully, I mean, do you feel like it still is there or, or what, what would your, I know part of your lens was, I don't want to jump into the market with just another product that is already here, but what was your lens on cognac in terms of bringing something unique, but also was going to taste like the raw ingredient? Um, so cognac obviously will tend to age um, um, less, less quick than um, something that that might be aged under a, a warmer climate so so cognac will take longer to come together and and cognac will tend to take longer to get to it, its peak as far as aging um, initially when i first started to import products into the us so again like 2011 I felt that the market for VS and VSOP was already pretty saturated. Um, obviously, the, the big brands that we all know are thriving on, on these um, age designations because they tend to be the lower priced um, um, cognacs um, in, in, in these respective brands uh, uh, lineups. Therefore, I felt that me coming to the market with AVS or VSOP, um, especially the cognac market where a lot of people have heard about the word cognac, but know very little about it. Or if mm -hmm. they do know about it, it's, it's some sort of like weird knowledge that is not really knowledge that is like tainted by like what, what you know, bigger brands may, may have. Like the marketing message that bigger brands may have put in, in, in one's head, plus like the romantic idea that one created for oneself. So there's a lot of baggage to cognac. And, and therefore, um, uh, I would have come to market with artisanal VS and VSOPs made by like small guys um, in, in, in like, like in not a lot of product available. It might be a cask. It might be a blend of several casks. Um, but that stuff would, the label would say VS and VSOP, but that stuff was bound to be more expensive than the VS and VSOPs that were already available in the market from those larger brands. And then if you, if the customer is not super educated, um, which there's no reason for the customer to be educated because you know, no one is really trying, you know, especially like larger brands are not necessarily trying to educate much. They're trying to, they're trying to, you know, push their name. They're trying to, to, to like team up with like a brand of clothing or like a, like a, uh, like an artist or something, but like, there's not a lot of education on the goods itself. 
So the, the customer not really knowing about cognac would just look at a, you know two different bottles and say, well, like, I mean, this VS and this VS, so that's the same stuff, obviously, but like this one is like way more expensive. So I'm going to get the cheaper one. Uh, well, it turns out there's a reason why, you know, the other stuff is, is more expensive because it's like when it's two dudes in a garage um, and they use no additives and they age the stuff for twice as long, even though they call it VS, um, uh, there is, you know, it might be bottled at, at a higher proof, but like all these things to the, 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 the lay person, like these are details that like no, no one looks at, like no one really pays attention to. And, and therefore I felt that initially, um, to, to, uh, make an impact, I, I should probably come to market with, with stuff that were old and expensive. Um, and then you, 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 you start creating in a realm where you, there's no real comparison of, um, you know, you, you, you come at somebody with a cognac of 30 years old, three zero, and you pour that for this person, you, you know, whether the thing is a 120, 190 or a 260 or 400, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it becomes a discussion. It becomes like, like, you know, how can you explain, um, the product in a way where your potential customer understands that there is real value there, um, as opposed to um, being in that conversation. Well, you know, we sell Remy VSOP and it costs that much, and your stuff is like fifteen bucks more expensive, so we're never going to be able to move that. So that was that was that was the thinking, but it wasn't by any means that I think VS or VSOPs are no good. Like some of them are um, spectacular. Uh, different uses, different kind of products. Um, I drink younger cognacs. I drink older cognacs. I drink you know stuff that's not cognac. Um, but it's um, initially I felt like for like a one man operation, it, it would make sense to not necessarily compete uh, like you know with the biggest players in the world. Uh, seemed like 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 a fairly uh, fairly logical uh, way to go about starting the business. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, and I just wanted to ensure that that was correct. So, you know, we talk a lot about marketing language so far, and one of the things I would be interested in is so I want to talk about uh, <laughs> I want to talk about we talk about small batch now, uh, but I also want to talk about uh, your outlook on the word smooth as well because I think that was an interesting thing as well. So, tell us why we need to be aware of as especially as consumers are shoot as as buyers in restaurants and bars like tell us about like your why we need to be on guard about a word like small batch for example um like with most words um we tend to feel we know what they mean and therefore we take them as such but we don't ask ourselves the question like i'm i'm I have two young daughters, one, one is nine, the other one is 11. Um, and mostly with my nine-year-old, when we have discussions, um, we will talk about something and I will ask a question. And then like, you know, five minutes into that discussion, I realized like she has no idea what we're talking about. Because one of the words that I used, she had never heard that word, but she did not have the thought of asking like what does it mean so then then we're, we're i'm engaged in a conversation where i'm i'm, I'm thinking like we're, we're talking about this very specific thing and she and 
she is not because she's not really capturing like what the subject of that discussion really is. Well, small batch is there. Like I'm, people are using that word small batch, thinking that they understand the meaning of what small batch is because obviously it's intuitive. It's like not a lot, right? Um, but at the same time, like what 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 not a lot means, you know, like what's what, what I'm telling you, like, oh, we don't make a lot of that stuff. The next question in one's mind should probably be, um, how much are we really talking about? Like when you say not a lot compared to what? Like you're making not a lot, like you're making, you're making a hundred balls or you're making a hundred thousand balls. Now, okay, the batch is like the amount, like we assume, I guess, like when it's being, like now small batches uh, means nothing because it's been so used and overused you know, by like larger companies for, for their marketing to make one feel like that stuff is artisanal. They can't really, they can't really say artisanal on labels or small batch sounds better. But like when that stuff is small batch, um, first off is like, how small is that batch? Like compared to the other massive amount of products that you put out? Okay, cool. But like your small batch is still a shit ton of product first. Now, Let's say you do make something that is sort of small when it comes to like in the grand scheme of quantities. Um, how many of them do you make a day or a week or a month or a year? You could make a small batch at 10,000 balls. It's not a lot of balls. Um, but if you make like, you know, three of them a day, 360 days a year, um, that's a shit ton of product. So I think small batch is being used as a way to say uh, this is not mass produced. Um, but like anything, when we're not actually um, using quantities to you know get a clear picture of what we're talking about, um, stuff ends up it ends up meaning nothing. Um, so, so it's a marketing term that um, I'm sure initially meant something and and now has absolutely like no substance to it. Yeah, no, I I appreciate it where I feel like it is kind of has worked its way a little bit into the conversational and just lexicon <clears throat> in the spirits world. But yeah, a small batch for the distiller down the street from me that, you know, produces however small of runs a year versus a small batch run for Four Roses yeah, it looks very, very different in terms of that. And and to your point, like they could even qualify, but they're doing, you know, three small batch runs a day, you know, all year long. And it's really not that they're they're still rushing at that point in time comparatively. It, it, it's it's the same that these these words need to they, they need to not be taken um um for what they are and one need to um look for more info. Um, it's the same way as if you were like, Hey, wow, that watch is cool. Like, you know, how much does it cost? And I'm like, Oh, you know, not much. I mean, you still don't know how much it costs, right? Like, I don't know what not much for you is. And maybe not much for you is, 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 is more or less than not much for me. So we, we're not having a discussion. Um, and so when it comes to, when it comes to spirits, um, and because the word experience is, is, is very heavily branded and, and, and because from a large brand standpoint, um, it is um, easier, safer to 
to stay very loose with um, concepts. So you can tweak things, navigate around, you know, like this. This small batch initially might have been not a whole lot of balls, but then it becomes super successful. Um, you got a few like viral TikTok videos, and all of a sudden, like you're, like 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 billions of people want your stuff. Um, you need to be able to, you know, from a brand perspective, to 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 you know piggyback on that on on that quick success. Therefore, the looser things are, the easier you can maneuver. Um, and, and so this is, uh, um, this is not necessarily helping the customer, uh, um, navigate clearly the realm of, 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 of spirits. So we, we're not using small bash, um, and, and whenever we're, we're balling something or we're like, how we, we're trying to be as transparent as we can as to the process, how much of the stuff is being made, why. And and because we think that the customer is not a dummy, and and um, we want to give facts. And then if you think that we're making you know too many balls, then all right, cool. Well, you think you're many too, we're making too many balls, but at least like you know how many balls we make, um, as opposed to you know thinking that we don't make a whole lot, and you know maybe you won't. So another word. And this could at some point play into a broader conversation about additives in a way. But another word that I loved made me smile when we got into this, when I started getting ready, was uh, the word smooth. And I can think about um, the idea like, oh, try this bourbon. It's so smooth or whatever. And while not everything I think needs to be a wallop over the head, I think if I would understand where you guys are coming from with this, I think at times smooth can also mean just lacking character or something interesting that not everything has to be bold, but it, it should be, you know, interesting flavors. And so anyway, so you guys kind of have this, like, you know, as part of your manifesto, I think it is, you don't deal with things that are smooth. So tell us your thoughts on the word, on that word. Um, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to articulate that. Um, the word smooth tend to indicate that um apply to spirits right it, it it tends to indicate that one is ingesting or putting in one's mouth uh something that is um that's easy like something that will you know go down quick and 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 it doesn't have anything to do with the characteristics of the product. It's it's more about. I see the word smooth as a way to say um, I want to get fucked up. I'm gonna drink booze, and I don't want to feel it. If I could get high drinking milk, I would do it. Doesn't work. Therefore, I have to go with um, higher proof stuff. Um, but I don't want it to, um, I, I don't want it to smell much or I don't want it to have like a very distinct personality. So the, the, the more, um, the easier it is, the less I think about it when I smell it and, and drink it and swallow it, the better. Uh, to, so to me, this is smooth. Like smooth to me is, uh, the absence 
of personality. Um, and, and knowing that alcohol spirits um, are not going to make any of us live longer, um, I would venture to say that at least my opinion is that um, if one is drinking alcohol, one should be looking for things that have a personality that express themselves in, in, in a specific manner where like paying attention to what one is drinking and understanding what it smells like, what it tastes like, whether you like it or not and why. And, and that makes, yes, it will you know, create a buzz uh, because you know, that's what alcohol does. Obviously this is one of the main reasons people are drinking. Um, but it's, it's, that's kind of the destination. Like what's, what's really cool is the ride. Like it is like like what you're drinking, and with whom you're drinking that stuff. Um, so so smooth um, as a descriptive of uh, that's easy to drink. It doesn't burn. Um, doesn't hurt my throat. Um, I feel like this is a it, it, it's a it's a waste of alcohol. Uh, it probably describes the mean to get to a place but i'm much more into like how do we how do we get there um so so i want to be drinking like we we advocate for spirits that have a personality experience that uh i, I would like put that if if i drink if, if i drink like seven rums or i taste seven rums next you know to each other's I want them to be very different. I don't want them to be completely interchangeable. Um, and, and so that's, that's my, I don't know if it really answers your question regarding smooth, um, but at least that's my take on the stuff. I honestly think it was a great one because as we sit here, well, it won't come out during it, as we sit here in the middle of dry January, at least for some or whatever, like or the top of the year as people think about like their relationship with this stuff, I do feel like that, yeah, like part of the problem with drinking certain things in general is like when it is very easy, very smooth, it's very easy to kind of just do it more mindlessly and get carried away with it. And that can be other people's destination or their vehicle for it. But yeah, it's like if you're drinking interesting, flavorful stuff, it more like, I mean, to, to the example, like, and there's plenty of examples outside your portfolio, but if you smell and taste Cobra Fire, it commands your attention. And, and so I feel like there are things that force you to reflect and want to know more about it as opposed to the things that are more just, you know, just the, uh, the so-called porch pounder where you like, you look up and you're like, you are pretty lit and you don't remember drinking the thing at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an organic, I'm, I'm, I'm selling, I'm selling alcohol, but I'm by no means saying that alcohol is great and the more alcohol one drinks the, the better like I'm, I'm very much advocating drink less drink better stuff the um i believe that we like each of us should should drink in moderation like i drink in moderation um i want to enjoy those occasions I want to drink in the right setting, the right stuff with the right people. Um, 
I do think that that in, in our industry, obviously, it, it's hard. Like a, we're all around a lot of booze, a lot of wine, a lot of beers, a lot of alcoholic beverages on the regular, and it creates issues. And and if one um, um, has a hard time abstaining, like can't really control one's consumption, then there's there's probably a need to to look into it. And and I have you know a lot of friends uh like very dear people to me like one of the main um um person uh his name is uh, leonardo comercio uh who, who is our sales director uh has, has has been sober and advocating for it uh for for years now and uh and he does an excellent job as the sales director um of you know pm spirits um, so one can absolutely, um, should absolutely be mindful of one's alcohol consumption. Um, and, and one doesn't have to drink in our industry. Like there is a way to, there is a way to, um, to, to be in that business and either drink, uh, in moderation or not drink at all or whatever fits, um, you know, one's boat. Um, but I do believe that something alcohol without a personality are things, as you very well said, they, that stuff can be pounded pretty mindlessly. And, and that's not good for anybody. Uh, it's not good for the person who drinks too much. It's not good for the person who are around the person. Um, so I think that you know, the drinking less, drinking better stuff is, is what we've been like, that's the reason why I studied PM. That's kind of like the, one of the, like the, the core tenets about like what, what we're trying to provide. Um, and, and I, I, I believe that's the, uh, at least for me, that's the right path. Okay. I have, uh, two other questions in mind. And if there's anything after that you want to get to at all, let me know. But, um, one of the things that kind of caused me to reach out in the first place. So it feels like, you know, the conversation around additives is very heightened right now, in part due to, I feel like tequila, at least in my lens, tequila matchmaker has kind of been on this hopefully mm. noble, useful uh, idea that like in your hundred percent agave uh, tequila, there can be up to 1% of other products designed to, very very out. useful very useful like grover grover did uh grover did did uh is doing uh a, a fantastic job and 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 it's not easy but i i, I is more power to him because i think this is this is uh this is changing the industry but i'm sorry go ahead no 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 i'm uh no that's perfect uh but i remember it was a uh, and i love some of you guys your your posts where you're like you're just you know, it's you like just looking right into the camera in a very intense way, which I appreciate. And you're like, do you know how hard it is to source additive free Calvados, you know, so French apple brandy for those. Mm -hmm. So in general, like we can use that as a, as a, as a lens, uh, Nicholas, but, uh, I mean, are there additives potentially in everything? Cause I feel like, you know, again, we're, we're used to now that I think some of us, the conversation around additives in tequila, but there are additives in your Calvados. And we've certainly already spent time today talking about people trying to speed up various processes to get to profit faster, but can talk to us about additives in whatever way makes the most sense to you. I think it, additives are pretty, are pretty taboo. 
um, it's uh, there's a lot of additives in in a lot of products. Um, the the and, and these products like these products don't have to disclose whether they have additives in them or not. Um, so it makes it even more complicated for the customer to to know. Um, the uh, not, not everybody is able to do analysis to to see like whether the um, amount of vanillin or or uh, the type of sugar that is in the in the distillate uh, indicates that there um, are additives used or not. Um, it's I think it's it's kind of a it's the default game. The default game is to, um, you know, in brandy, like cognac, um, Armagnac, Calvados, the French brandies, but also like, you know, like not necessarily just the, uh, the, uh, those are the three uh, known appellations, but like many other types of brandies from other countries. Like the default is, you know, using caramel color to make the stuff look darker than it is, um, using sugar to make the stuff taste like smoother again um like take off the uh take out the bite of the alcohol um use uh, use some of that like boise like that that wood paste wood extract to make the stuff um taste like it spend more time in 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 barrels than it actually did um the the like these these three additives are uh, fairly ubiquitous um in in uh, in brandy, not everybody use them, but a lot, a, a lot do. And and uh, and when used, um, like no one, no, no one tells you. Um, so it's a matter of like knowing, knowing your producer, understanding the the economics, and um, and, and, and 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 why why this is why this is done. Um, you know, like rum uh, has um you know sugar and caramel and, and some other things depending on whether these are uh um igs like appellations or or not um there, there's there's a, there's a lot of that stuff like whiskey whiskey has caramel like you know scotch it tends to have caramel added to it um after you know shelf filtration as it removes the uh, some of the colors so one wants to get the color back to what it was pre-filtration like there, there there's a lot of that stuff going on um and and i'm not saying it's all bad um they, they are um there are use of additives like i, I don't want to have like a, i don't want to have like a binary conversation about additives uh, sure the the there is a use of additives that can enhance the product um, like you could, one could use, one could age additives. Like one could have in a cellar, uh, you know, casks in which you have um, caramel coloring um, in cognac at twenty percent alcohol, or boise that 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 wood paste um, mixed up with cognac and water at twenty percent alcohol or so. Um, same thing, so like sugar, caramel, boise, um, uh, aging in barrels, um, a mix of those different additives um, with, with cognac at 20 or so percent alcohol, age for like 10, 5, uh, 5 10, 20 years. Um, and, and these additives are going to um, evolve with time. They're going to uh, benefit from the aging in barrels. And then when you use them 
um, the resulting products uh, is going to be pretty awesome. Um, and there's still they, these are still additives, right? But they're being used in a way that is meant to bonify the product as opposed to speed things up and increase profits. Like 99.9% of additives used out there, they're used to uh, make up for the faults of the spirit. Stuff is right. too young. Um, stuff is too harsh. Stuff should have spent another 15 years in a barrel, but that would cost money, so let's release it now. Uh, though it's undrinkable as such, how we're going to do it so the customer doesn't spit it out and buys a, uh, like, chugs a full ball and buys a second one. Um, let's make it dark uh, using caramel because um, if it's if it's the, the color Pinot Grigio, like, it's going to look going to look weird on shelf. Um, let's make it sweet. Like, let, let's, let's put some oak in it um, artificially. And, and instead of, and we can age the stuff two years and four or four years instead, instead of like, like, you know, 15 or 25. Um, so that way of using additives as a way to, to, to shortcut what, what, you know, like time, years, decades, uh, might do to the product. Um, this is what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about, like being against additives. Um, the other way of using additives. Uh, which is, you know, like aging them for 20 years. Um, I mean, that's a different game. Um, and and, and I, I do find, I do think that this is completely fine. As a matter of fact, you know, it using aging additives is something that very few do. When you do that, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of space. It takes a lot of money uh, because you're aging additives at 20% alcohol. So you need um, a lot of volume. So you end up having sellers and sellers, casks and casks, in which one is aging additives. Um, this has a cost. So this is that use of uh, that use of additive is is uh, the right one, I guess. Um, and I'm mostly talking about brandy now. Um, while the the use of additive just to to make a quick buck um with spirits that's way too young um that's the stuff that i tend to condemn i uh I, I do appreciate you talking about that like let's not look at it through a fully binary lens as opposed to understand it to your point of when is this cutting corners making things cheaper faster as opposed to adding character like the distiller when they're making this choice they're actually making the process potentially even more costly for themselves invites more of a question as opposed to ah yes Harsh, smooth, et cetera, right there. Um, no, that that makes good sense. One other thing I was curious about. So a PM, you kind of have your broader distribution. So here, I think in the lovely state of Missouri, I think uh, the distributor of Integrity. So you guys are importing mm -hmm. a lot of products and they're handling stuff for you in the state of Missouri. In New York, you also distribute product as well in that market directly. Correct. Well, one of the things I was interested in, because I've heard I heard someone make a comment about a sweet potato vodka the other day that they felt like really had some interesting body and flavor and whatnot. Mm -hmm. With PM, so I feel like in general, in the mixology world, sometimes we can end up railing against vodka because it for at least traditionally when it is made well, a lot of times it seems like it is designed to be flavorless and odorless. And so I don't know if you would look at a different lens, but I know you guys have at least one vodka in your catalog 
-hmm. So it, is that uh, category changing or how do you, how do you think about that in uh, based on PM's kind of founding mission of flavor and stuff we, we like to drink? Um, all right. I, I, I tend to um, not have a binary vision of anything. Um, so it's easy to say um, additives are bad, vodka sucks, in 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 that in that sort of stuff. Um, but the reality, as always, is a lot more complex than that. So, first off, there is interesting vodkas out there within the vodka category, like. Is a vodka, will a vodka be as mind-bendingly complex as a really um, well-aged um, Armagnac or Calvados? Will it be as stunning uh, aromatically as one of the greatest, highest rum out there? No, because that's, that's not the purpose of the product. By definition, how the stuff is made, it, it just won't. So I do think that one should um, consider a specific product within its own category uh, and not in the ether of whether um, it is good or bad. Um, that makes that makes little sense to me. It's 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 it makes me think of you know points for wine. When you look at a wine and you compare two wine that are 90, 94 points. Um, there are 94 points in their category. You're 94 points for $20, and then you're, 90, you're 94 points for $200. But they're not like they're not being compared. Like we're not comparing one with the other. Like we're comparing them within their respective categories. So um, I think that vodka has a time and a place. I think the stuff uh, can be very food friendly. I think the stuff obviously uh, play uh, an important role when it comes to uh, making cocktails. Um, I do think that there are great vodkas out there and there's a lot of vodka that suck. Um, so I am, um, I, I'm, I'm not an Ayatollah of anything. Um, I am looking at the category and I'm with an open mind thinking like who is out there that's making cool stuff. Um, and, and there's a, a like, I remember uh, having my mind blown um, maybe 15 years ago or so as somebody in New York tasted me and we have no relationship with the brand, but uh, so somebody in New York tasted me on a vodka called Boyd and Blair. And, and I don't think I've had, uh, I didn't, I've, I've, at the time, uh, my, my experience with, with vodka was, was fairly limited. And listen, that was 15 years ago. I have a pretty good memory of how that stuff tastes like. And I was like, oh shit, this is, is this stuff is really good. Um, so, so these, these experience exist. Um, I think that having an open mind and, and going at stuff without expecting it to be amazing or to suck and just, just you know, 
like pay attention to pay attention to uh, the product itself um whether you like it or not try to put a try to put you know words as to like why um and if you like it like get deeper into like how it's made who made it and you know uh that 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 it plays a it it, it plays a role um so yeah vodka as a the, the as as the vodka market changed not necessarily i think there's just more vodkas out there based on the fact that there's more distilleries and from a cash flow standpoint like one will tend to want to release vodka engines right away because one doesn't need doesn't need to age them um so there's there's just more expressions out there but you know 15 years ago they were cool stuff and they're cool stuff now and they were there's like you know garbage vodkas and and back then and you have like like horrible products now Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, again, I appreciate the non-binary lens on it and, uh, one, we'll see if Boyd and Blair is still a thing or not, but, um, yeah. So we can certainly do the, where do people find it up? I mean, the catalog is great. Is there anything regarding PM we haven't talked about that you'd like to, like to cover today? Um, specifically about us, I mean, I guess we, we, we're still working and we, we have a lot of work in front of us to get more people to know we exist. Um, we don't pretend to, to carry the best anything. Um, but we think we represent, um, some of the very good distillers out there across most categories and in a lot of different countries. Um, I would tend to say like you can you can stay in touch with us uh on social media um we are uh, at pm spirits um and um and if there was one message um I would say that unrelated to pm necessarily but as to do with the like artisanal you know booze plane um like be open-minded like don't necessarily just go for the stuff that you know uh the things that are familiar like like you know like there's there's cool people out there who make very limited amount of products these products are not necessarily super expensive um they might blow your mind so you know whenever you have a chance to step out of your comfort zone whenever you meet somebody uh you know be it a bartender or sommelier um somebody at a retail who's really passionate about booze um you know engage the conversation learn from the person see what the person has tasted lately that you know like she is really hyped about um because there's there's really really cool stuff out there and it would be it would be um kind of dumb to just go for like the same smooth stuff and i'll add while you're on pm spirits site you should definitely read the blog too because it is a great fun read actually so uh (laughs) i appreciate it thank you so much um well yeah well nicholas thanks so much for taking time to chat today really appreciate it Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. 
The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktailing.